yeah, one of my favourites is when people start out, they look at it, they look at our ink store and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. See this? Yeah. This is evil. Right. The Panther. Evil. Squeegeening Podcast Season 2. This podcast is sponsored by Blind Maggot, Magna Colors, MR, Target Transfers, and Adobe Creative Suite. So my name's Dave Roper. Um, I run a company called Screenprint World, and I've done for a number of years now. Uh, I've been in the print industry. I've just sat here sadly and worked it out for 38 years. 38? I thought it was just over 30, but yeah, 38. It's 38 years since I was 15. I joined, uh, you know, I, I went straight into screen printing, sort of kicking and screaming, you know, no, I don't want to do it. And I had to do it because uh, I really didn't want to go into screen printing, but it was the only option I had open to me at the time. Yeah. So, yeah. You said in like one of your one of these interviews that I just like looked at in Images magazine that it was like either that or being like a, a regular building tradesman or into the services or something. I should have built, really, shouldn't I? How much the builder costs nowadays? You know that, but you know your father. Yeah, you can. It's, it's such a variable trade, though, isn't it? Like mm. it's very um, yeah on and off building. It's quite actually it's quite a scary trade to get into. You have to know what you're doing. Um, yeah, so. So you started out screen printing quite unusual stuff. And then have you ever like run your like a studio under your own name or have you always worked as a screen printer for other people? And then you started. Well, I've always worked, always worked for other people. I, uh, I started off on a YTS mm. simply because when I left school, I really didn't have much idea what I was going to do. And this is, you know, leaving school in the early eighties. Um, you know, there was a recession around <laughs> sounds familiar um, it wasn't a great time, really, to be sort of out of work or leaving school. And there wasn't many options open uh, to me. But I always loved photography. I loved design. Um, and then there was a course came up called Photography, Design and Printing. You're like, oh, that's two, and I went, two out of three. Yeah, great. I'll, I'll do the, uh, so I'll put a name forward. I'll, 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 I'll do the photography. No, we can't place you anywhere local with a photographer. Okay, then. I'll do the design. I like design. <laughs> <laughs> nope, we can't place you anywhere the design. So what have you got? Well, this is silkscreen company down the road that are after somebody to uh, help them run a machine. And they're sort of, you, you slump like that. Because <laughs> it, was, it wasn't my first choice. It really wasn't. Mm. And I was printing um, carpet booklets because I'm from Kidderminster, which is where we are originally, which is the carpet town. And I was printing these carpet booklets, you know, the outside of the book and then the inside. And then when you go through and you see the little swatches, and there was a company that took me on up there and, um, you know, I was there for a couple of years, I think, on a YTS, earning the princely sum of £25 a week. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, are you seeing, like, um, this is, like, going quite dramatically over to something else, but are you seeing, like, a, another recession and, like, because we have, I haven't done business through a recession yet. So mm -hmm. are you seeing, like, parallels between, like, that time and now? Do you think we should be kind of, like... How, well, how do you think people can prepare for that? Or like, is it scary or flexible. I don't know? Just stay flexible and do not put all your eggs in one basket. That's the best way to get through any recession. What I mean by saying flexible is, is sometimes have a look at how many staff you've got, how many you might have to let go and look at how many you've got and more. And also do cross training so people can do other things. By cross training people within your print shop, you know, you haven't got a screen maker, you haven't got a screen cleaner, you haven't got a machine operator. You get these people to just cross train. And by doing that, it means that if you let somebody go or somebody goes on to part-time hours, then it isn't so much of, oh, nobody knows how to code a screen. 
Mm. Uh, oh, maternity leave, that's another big kick, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, we got two girls off at the moment, um, you know, and, uh, you know, it, it's hard, you you know, but I, I want them back, you know, they're my marketing team and I really want them back. So, you know, it, it is hard. It is really hard. Mm. Marketing is like one of those things that is like a peripheral, really, to most screen print shops. So they don't, you're not going to train it, are you? It's just kind of like most people just take it on themselves to some degree, I think. And then uh, work a week. Yeah, exactly. It's really hard. Phone and it just becomes, as you know, it, you, you you sort of eat, you drink it, and it just becomes twenty four seven. You've got to switch off from it because if you're not careful, you end up being everything to everybody, and that's when it's a downward spiral. Yeah. So, like, is that like one of the big lessons that you've learned running the business? Is like, how do you work yourself out of the day to day like grind stuff and not let, like burn out? <laughs> let people fail. You have to give people the. Uh, you have, to, you have to give them the responsibility of doing their job. And you have to sometimes almost watch it fail in front of you when you know it's going to go wrong. But you're thinking, well, if I wasn't here, what would they do? And I get asked loads of questions every day. Dave, where's this shipping? Dave, how do you do this? How do you do this? How do you do And at the end of the day, you've got to say, how would you do it if I wasn't here? I must say that three or four times. Mm-hmm. And then usually the guys know, but I'm here. It's just nice to ask. So that's, that, that's the best way, really. Because mm. you've now got a family member in there, haven't you? Is it Adam? Yeah, others right. My yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's he's our customer service and and sales, and he's uh, yeah. It's kind of it's kind of hard because I was just pulling, I was just changing over my PC the other day, and I saw a load of pictures of him when he was five. So I embarrassed the whole office, of course, by showing everybody pictures in his Spider-Man outfit. You know, <laughs> which but I like, probably not knowing Adam, so you know. Have Have you found it tricky not treating Adam differently to like other staff members because because he is family, or are you harsher on him than uh, you? I'm probably be? I'm probably harder on him because I'm from the old school regime. I'm probably that little bit harder on him than I should be, but to be honest, he's a really good lad, and he worked here when he left school, so he came here for a year's placement, and then he went away, did a few other things, and then came back. So he kind of he kind of knows the school, and he's you know he's maturing into be a you know a really good sensible lad. Hmm. Um. I, I was looking back at your resume as well. Um. Oh. On LinkedIn, which wasn't very difficult to do. I was yeah. going to ask you like, how did you get the M and R contract? And then I saw on LinkedIn that you worked for them for like, I want to mm. say ten years or something, being a salesman all around well, the world. And, uh, I was I was um oh god through my career YTS and then went to a local printer's um and then i went uh and then i got bored of everything after a couple of years of being around here so sort of in the early early 90s i decided to go to australia nice didn't know anybody it seemed like a great thing to do yeah. so sort of sold, uh, sold sold my cars sold my xr3i which i wish i still had um and uh, sort of said to my girlfriend see it and i would I, I literally just you just left your girlfriend as well girlfriend yeah 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 i bought the ticket <laughs> And I just, I just thought, when am I going to tell her when's a good time? And then I suppose really in hindsight, so a couple of days before wasn't the best time to tell it. Yeah. But I was supposed to be going over there for six to eight weeks. That ended up being almost 18 months. Yeah. And it That's... just, and I think that if you, if, if I can give anything to anybody, travel, because it's great for the soul. It's great to meet people. It's great to have that communication. It's great to put yourself in situations where you've got to get out of it. You haven't got to rely on everybody. You know, I mean, I landed in Sydney with not a lot of money, went traveling around and came back to Sydney with not a lot of money still. And you yeah. just get out of it and you end up doing horrible jobs. And you, that's a horrible job. I'm never going to do that again. But I really needed that $20 because I needed to eat. 
Um, it's that type of thing. Um, but no, it, um, just different places, different people having an awesome time, having an awesome time. So I did that for a couple of years. While I was over there, I did all sorts of jobs. I was a Mexican chef, um, sort of, uh, you know, talked my way into that one. I, I worked <laughs> well, How did you talk your way into that one? Can oh, you talk I, way into that? You're like, yeah, you went yeah. from, oh, yeah, I'm a printer. And then you went, oh, I can cook fajitas. Or... <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to work on the weekend and I wanted to work some, double up my money because I was working for a surfwear company called Mambo in Sydney. And uh, in the daytime, I was doing my traditional printing job and I was on press and I was on sampling and I was doing, and I, was, I was enjoying it sort of six till sort of two ish in the morning because it's so hot there that you sort of did an early, early shift. And then in the evenings, I was kind of getting a bit bored and probably drinking too much. So I thought, OK, I'll, I'll go and work in a, in a restaurant. And I went down to the local restaurants and went into three or four of them. One of them said, can you cook? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can a little bit. Can you cook Mexican food? See. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I knew you were going to do an accent or something, or they'd hire you because you've got like this British accent over there and stuff. That's yeah. funny. Yeah. yeah, I just kind, of, I just kind of ended up doing that, and then met a load of great people, and I had, I had a great time. Just, I mean, you know, the Australians have got a thing, you know, no worries. You know, can you do the job? Yeah, no worries. Okay, then. And if you can't do it, you're in trouble. But generally speaking, you put your hand to it and do it. Yeah, I, I found like you kind of got this approach to business a bit like that. Because you're very easy to do business with. Like any like if any time I've needed something or I haven't been able to work out how to like afford it in the in the studio, for example, or you're like, well, just I know it's like a sales tactic as well. Like, oh, try it and then just see how it goes. You can always return it. But it's like that flexibility. And it's just that- like, yeah, it's just easy. And I don't it's know why like everything else well, has a contract. Buy, yeah, who wants to buy something? And then you get it there and it isn't what you liked or it isn't what you want. And the thing is nowadays, if you look at, you know, if you look at buying stuff from Amazon, you can return it. You know, if, if it isn't what you want or you've been missold it, I mean, it's ridiculous, really. And I, you know, I'm always saying to people, look, it's not what you want or it isn't what you thought. Then I've probably done my job wrong by not explaining it to you or looking more deep, more, in more depth what you needed. You know, did you need an automatic? Did you need a manual? You know, what, what did you need? What process do you need? And generally speaking, we don't, we hardly get anything back. You know, every now and then we get something back and it hasn't worked out for somebody. Fine, no problem, because we, we, we buy used stuff. So we buy it back and, and move it on. So generally speaking, you know, like I say, it's the best thing, isn't it? I mean, you know, try before you buy. Yeah, but it's, it's just, um, I think you're just like very low red tape. So it's mm. just like, when I've called up and I've needed something next day and then uh, Nick's like, oh, just quickly try this, like smuggle it through, like put it through the delivery system, get it to you the next day. It's that kind of flexibility that we've... That usually involves Nick going out into the warehouse, stick it in a box himself and then hold and then call the DPD driver and say, can you come back? We forgot one. You yeah. know, and, and he'll do that. Nick will do that for anybody the same way. Hmm. Uh, you know, yeah. and... and people need it urgently i mean I, I don't use the word urgent very often a lot of people do but i don't so if i generally say urgent then it is because i think it's a misused word you know to me is oh my god this is really urgent whereas people go no it's an urgent no i need it i need it and then you go to them and it's still sat there in, in a box two weeks later it wasn't that urgent was it yeah yeah that we get there a lot as t-shirt printers though don't we but like it's that you can you can easily lose yourself reacting to other people's urgent urgent like deadlines and i need the shirt by friday and all that horrible pent-up yeah. stuff that makes yeah. you make all these mistakes throughout the week and 
Yeah. And it's playing on your mind and you go home and you're thinking, God, I shouldn't be here. And it's seven o'clock and I should be really finishing those shirts off. And all that. It's, it, it's, you know, and of course, what's caused that is the next day syndrome, which I call the next day syndrome, which again has been caused by Amazon. You can have everything next day. Mm. How wonderful is that? How wonderful. I mean, the pandemic pushed us into that. Everybody got whatever they needed next day, usually from Amazon. You know, I mean, they met, and, and that's 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 had a knock on effect through everybody shopping and for how everybody shops for something. And to us, to a certain degree, I mean, you know, we're carrying now probably 40% more stock than I was 18 months ago because yeah. I have it here for next day. And people want it next day. Yeah. So it seemed to be so much planning as there was, which is always a bit of a concern. Yeah. So, like, how are you reacting to that? Because it is so variable with, like, pandemics and recessions and supply chain issues. It's like, I feel like it's like the trifecta of shit for somebody, like, in your situation who's trying to get, stocked up and importing and like well, how do you have well we've got 20, 20 suppliers we've got 20 different countries you know we've got over certainly over i think it's over three thousand products uh, you, you just accept the fact you're not going to have everything in stock all the time we we have software now that helps us predict when stuff's going to be sold we we have a um when stuff comes in, we, we know how long it's taken to order. But typically we've had ink recently that took six weeks to get here and all of a sudden now it's doubled to 12. Yeah. So now I have to keep twice as much ink in. So literally the warehouses has to expand and that's the only way you can do it. And then you have all this money wrapped up in the stock with the hope that people buy it. Yeah. So how do you justify that to your accountant? You just got to like work with them to say, like, yeah, you'd have to get loans out surely to, so I well, don't know did. how big, how big business works like that but yeah you do i mean you you have to i mean you have you have to because otherwise if you uh, people are very fickle about buying online and we're very much an online company and people are very fickle about buying online if you haven't got it they'll go somewhere else there's other people that sell it and they'll keep going around until they find it and they go to a different place or you know they go to a different supplier and then you know that's how we get business sometimes because another supplier doesn't have it and people will jump from time to time there's very little loyalty Nowadays online, there's virtually no loyalty online because you can be anybody. There's no, you know, you're not talking to somebody. You just type in away, credit card, bang, you expect it there the next day. Mm. And that's where we are. That's where we are. You know, everybody's there. Everybody. They're not just our industry, everybody. And it makes it very, very difficult to keep, particularly when things are coming from from America. You know, we had, we had I mean, all we need to play locust this year. We've had everything. You know, we had a serious <laughs> block and we've had a pandemic and, you know, we've had bad weather and we've had storms and everything else. And a lot of people realize that, that this stuff comes in a container, comes over to the ship, then has to ship all the way here. And then when it got here, we had strikes at the docks. So yeah. we got all the way here <laughs> and we still couldn't get it. So it's tremendously frustrating. And all you can do is be very honest with the customer and upfront as possible because they appreciate that, as I would appreciate it. I'd appreciate somebody saying to me, that that product you ordered, Dave, it's not going to be two weeks anymore. It's going to be four. Explain the reason why. And 95% of people are good. Some people just say, no, sorry, it's not for me. Well, please, please take, you know, have a refund. And uh, I wish you all the best. And, you know, I'll let you know when it comes back in stock if you haven't sorted yourself. Yeah. So it is very difficult to, to, to at the moment. Business is very difficult because it hasn't gone back to normal yet, what I call normal. Yeah, but um, you're saying like the whole industry is an online thing, but there are still some really big companies out there and you can't just go on the website and just buy it. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like some some things you have to, some things you literally have to call up, know exactly what it is you need out of like thousands of products. 
-hmm. and then other ones like big suppliers and they've got like four other little distributors you still can't get the bloody thing that you want you know what it is but just need yeah get at it everyone's had trouble with garments this year as well this drought will have a knock-on effect with people as well and the ukraine war it just seems there's one thing after another after another after another moment i suppose the key thing is just not listen to the news yeah I've st- I turned off the news a long time ago. Have, do you yeah. like literally not watch it now? I, I watch very little. I watch very little TV to be honest. I, I, I don't. I generally don't watch the news. Um, you know, I'll, I'll watch something called Plymouth. You know, I've got an eight-year-old daughter, which keeps me more than occupied till about nine o'clock at night. Yeah, exactly. I know, but it is. It is just if you're constantly watching the news, then you're like always in the doom, yeah, doom and yeah. gloom kind of mindset, and it just drags you down because there's always yeah. like. A hypothesis of why why you're not doing well, well and stuff you can blame it on yeah but yeah no it's interesting so um can i ask you about like i know they're like the industry struggles at the moment with like supply chain issues and stuff but like what positive things are you seeing in the industry that we can like um do a screen print that's you've kind of like gone for portugal instead of china as like yeah. a manufacturer we went with somebody uh from portugal simply just because of the fact that we've We've dealt with Chinese companies for 20 years. And and to be honest, they just want to sell it and they'll sell it to anybody and there's no backup. Mm-hmm. And with something like that, you need that backup. You need someone to hold your hand, as I do with people. If it doesn't work, I'll take it back. You know, you need that. And generally speaking, you don't get that. You just you just get, oh, great, I've got a great price, but now I've got a machine that's down, a head that's broken. I don't know where I'm going to get my supplies from. And the software is, oh, no, it's in Chinese. And that yeah. happens a lot. That happens a lot. Yeah. So it, that we wanted somebody a bit more European and somebody, and you know, the company Mtex, a, a very good company. Yeah. Like how? Okay, so they're contacting you, but are there any um, kind of like circumstances where like a company has produced something like a machine or something or an ink, and then mm-hmm. they don't want loads of suppliers in the UK, but they just want one? Do you have mm-hmm. to like bid for it, or how do they choose you as a supplier? They'll contact you. They know you. I mean, it's like I said, you know, I've, I've been in the industry now for over 30 years and they generally know you. There's there's four or five strong suppliers within the UK and they'll generally know who they are. So if you've got and they'll know them through other dealerships or other things. So, you know, the fact I've been the I know I worked for him and I, as you pointed out earlier for, you know, almost 10 years as their European sales manager. So I got to know a lot of people through that and networked. Mm. And that's how that that's how you get to know these things. And also, you go on reputation, online presence. Uh, are you doing the right things? Even down to reviews. You know, somebody commented the other day. We got you know fantastic reviews on Trustpilot, and I was wow. And you know, so that's you know that made us look towards you to sell our product. Mm. Yeah, I did. I did. That's down here actually. I've written a note on like how crazy your Trustpilot thing is because people can go off on one really harsh on reviews, but I'm not seeing it on your side like i've got um i'm really like precious about my reviews but i shouldn't be but i've got like a hundred and then i've got one one star and i'm mm. like you shit bag and i like <laughs> I, I actually messaged them to like take it off and stuff because it was yeah. completely and it, and it's, it looks easy it still hurts doesn't it? It's still uh, hurt. i know i know yeah I'm, it's a real stinger I'm, you know but you can't please everybody you really can't please everybody that's one thing you go you know, when you realize in this industry is that you're not going to please everybody but as long as you can rectify the problems and please 99 percent of the people you should you should be okay you should be okay we're just very fortunate that we you know we've got a, a good a good following we're fortunate that we keep a lot of stock a lot of the, the products 
we try and keep things very slick and very easy to check out. We try to keep things, like I said, it's just make the whole process easy. Mm. You know, you, you don't you don't want to start the conversation with, oh, can I have 10 by 5 or white? Um, that's not the conversation you want to start. You just want to click, click, click. And most of the guys, most of the printers, most of the small printers are printing in the garages at home and the small units. And sometimes it's their second job. You know, they're, they're not ordering until 7, 8, 9 and 10 at night. Mm. They're really not. So, you know, that website is 24-7. That's true. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, mm. because then they just completely take some of the like technical competition out of it because they're not answering their phones at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, are you finding, uh, I know you've opened up like the Crafty, is it called Crafty Craft? No, that's Craft. the, sorry, Crafty Craft is a, crafty, is a, th- is a thing screen. in Newbury where they have like craft boats, your Crafty Screen. Crafty um, screen. Yeah, so... I know you've kind of like tried to serve that kind of like part of the customers with those kind of, what would you call them? Like a more DIY craft? DIY craft customers, people yeah. who want to print cushions on the weekend, t-shirts, baby grows, tea towels, whatever they want to do. And they want to do it for the love of doing it. They're not usually mm. not doing it for, they're not doing it for profit. They're generally doing it because they want to do something because they're crafty. So they, right. they've got this feeling that they want to produce and they produce some really nice prints. Is that like a hobby? Because I haven't had a hobby in my yeah. life. Yeah, well, well. Imagine yeah, having it, so much time that you're like, oh, I'm not had print a hobby some cushions. All my hobbies become like business things because I just, <laughs> <laughs> just, that's just. You. Hmm. Huh? What's that so, tell you about you? I, I don't know. What is that? Is that a negative <laughs> trait that I can't uh, have a no. hobby? <laughs> Yeah, you got you got you've got tough up. I mean, that, that's escapism. That's escaping from it, the real day to day workings and the stress and everything else. You've got to be, you know, to be fishing, riding a bike, walking your dog. It could be anything, as that could be your hobby. And uh, there's some people that's their hobby. They're very creative. I mean, you know, I've got several friends who do various hobbies uh, that are creative. And one of my friends is uh, into uh, stained glass windows, which we didn't find out till the other day. Really? And he makes, he makes small stained glass windows. Who knew? But he loves to do it. He goes to his shed and off he goes and he loves to do it. So it's whatever. And we found that in the lockdown, there was a massive yeah. need for there was a massive need for people who were still getting the furlough money. They were sat at home, tapping the fingers. What, what can I do? Do you know what? I tried printing at college. Do you know what? I tried this once. Or oh, do you know what? I want to do this. And it wasn't, it wasn't hundreds that were printing, it was five, you know, one for them, one for them, one for them. And they just wanted to try it. And that's the great thing about screen print. It's a very tactile process. It's something that when I'm teaching, you can see people smile. Yeah. You see people, people get that. I get an enormous buzz out of that when you talk to somebody. And they print shirts, you know, at our, at our training school here. And they go away and they're so proud. And that's, that's great. It's a great feeling, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I can I can agree with that. It is very fun to see people do it. And you do get the little wows and um you do like spark like oh i could do this for myself and it it does motivate people a lot but i even get that like i still get excited about screen printing like uh i I do i generally like enjoy and have fun when i'm actually on press but that's because you're creative and when you're a creative person you want to see what you've created now you've created that print from the start to the finish Mm. you've even designed it as well so you've gone all the way through that process and then you even you even sell it yeah selling it yeah at the weekends or something and saying yeah. oh i printed that on friday is just yeah that um, is very fun it was, it was blown away. I, I remember going many years ago i remember going skiing to vancouver and i remember there was a print shop actually in vancouver so i come down off the mountain i came down and i couldn't believe it and they were getting people to print 
and they were just getting wooden screens, jotting them down on T-shirt, and they were just doing one colour, and they were pulling it. And the people's fascination then, I got, God, this is a, had a real buzz about it. It was music playing, people having a few beers, and it was a really great atmosphere. Mm. And that people were creating themselves, and then they go, they go off and cure it, and then there you go, you can have, you know, you printed your own T-shirt for 20 bucks, and yeah. it worked. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, do you think uh, certain levels of screen printers, like, like say, like your Monster Press or your like that type of thing, those kind of that kind of like large print shop, maybe with a few automatics and stuff. Do you think they should be scared of those hybrid machines that they can't quite afford, but might be competing with their like um, margins and stuff? Because it's like even a jump up, isn't it? Those ones that are. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're a jump. I mean, they're a jump up, and the hybrid machines are, um, you know, sit right between screen print and right between high end digital. Mm. Therefore, the hybrid machines are for people who want to do hybrid. They want to do digital production, so something like the MNR DS four thousands uh, will easily knock out three to four hundred prints, you know, an hour, an hour, yeah. and you know, I, you know, some people struggle on these high end. You know, I won't mention the manufacturer's names, but they're struggling to get 200 prints. And the other thing also with that is that it, it, it starts with a screen print water-based uh, base, and then it's a digital on top. Now, the MNR have had this technology for many years now, seven or eight years. I expect in the future to see that DS4000 become a DS1000 maybe. And then, it, okay, it will only do 100, but then it comes down in price. So mm -hmm. almost like somebody will put a digital printer upon the head of a head of an automatic machine. So then they have the flexibility to do screen print or the flexibility to do digital. Wow. So you think it's kind of going to be like an adaptation that people can like uh, upgrade their presses to have yeah, one? It'll be like Binance, it'll be like Binance Spot Cure. You know, Binance Cure. You'll just be able to just slide it straight in and then it'll it'll link to the it'll link to your PC. You'll you will put them. I mean, the great thing about it is because you're putting a water-based wipe down and then you flash it and then you put the digital colours on top, there's no pre-treatment. So the garment looks it looks great it's got that great feel about it and then all you're putting on top really is cmyk yeah and yeah. of course the other thing the digital can't do is all it is a screen print is so versatile you know you can do metallics you can do fluorescence you can do glow in the dark you can do puff you can do suede you can do leather looking all this ink silicon ink all these different types of effects digital can't do that it will give you a beautiful beautiful image on a garment yes mm. and sometimes that's not what people want yeah, it's just tricky though, isn't it? It's because that is going to serve a huge proportion of prints. Like the all those kind of like specialty inks. When you're just like a small town printer or something, I've never had anyone ask me for anything more elaborate than puff. Yeah. Like no one's asking for like glitters and all those types of things. Do you think it's like our responsibility to show them and like demonstrate those kind of specialty inks you to customers? Have, to, you should have a sample. Out? Yeah, in your in your print shop, you should have a sample of metallic or glitter or glow in the dark. You know, we've got a we've got a glow in the dark shirt literally just on the wall behind me, and it's been there for two years. Two years glowing glowing away. You should have that because unless the customer sees it, he isn't going to want to see a brochure. So how how will they know? How will you sell it? So by yeah. having print with it on there, even if you get a bit of a sampling and you play around with it and you produce something, at least you could show the customer. And that way you're selling it to the customer saying, you could have this, it's X, Y, Z more, but you could have it. Anything else a bit different. I wouldn't mind that on a garment. I wouldn't mind it glowing, you know? Yeah. I, th I think that's a huge part. I've been trying to encourage people to do um, 
some some studios don't have shop shirts mm-hmm. and it's kind of like guys you've got to have a shop shirt now I feel I feel like that is a necessity it's it's like just as important as having like a google page because yeah. it's not just not I'm not talking about your uniform I'm talking about like kind of like merchandise as your shop so like mm-hmm. a for example like a squeegee ink shirt or you can get like a flip and sweet shirt or there's there's quite a lot of people who've got them yeah um so yeah but that is the where that's where you can do your speciality inks i suppose and so in your creative side you're showing what you can do and you'll do your hardest print or you do an easy print or you might just do a white print but whatever you do you can show everybody that so when somebody comes in to your print shop if you've got a showroom area or a desk or whatever you've got you should have garments like this yeah all up on the wall to show people because the first thing people do when they come into i mean you know you've been in you've been here we've got 150 shirts up on the walls of custom generally of, of our printers that have printed them and they go oh, how did you do this and it starts that conversation they don't want to come in and just see the back of an apple mac computer it's the yeah. last thing they want to see they want to see touch feel or oh, what garments i don't know oh, it's a guild and oh, it's this so they want to discuss it or oh, what hood is that you know they want to discuss that so uh, it's a very our industry what I've noticed over the last, certainly over the last 10 years, is the first thing a customer do is feel the garment. Mm. And then they'll look at the print. So they'll feel the print. And they are much more educated now than they ever used to be. And that's down to, of course, YouTube and podcasts and various other things that the general customer is very much, you know, very much more, more educated. Yeah. Are you seeing a lean towards, like, environmentally friendly things? Like, how, if someone is is saying like about oh i need it to be environmentally friendly and stuff. how are you guiding them like what choices are you guiding them to make there's two environmentally friendly printers yeah there's the guys that are genuinely worried about the environment and they're genuinely worried so they don't care about the cost they're using what they need to use and they're usually manual printers and they're usually printing out and they're usually using solar panels and they're usually recycling water and they're doing everything possible and then there's the guys who you like to use as a tag so they can charge extra. Hmm. And it's not that, it's just another sales pitch. Yeah, you can have water-based ink because it's green now. Yeah, you can have this product and that product. So we're seeing more and more people ask about it. The prices have come down where they used to be really high. They've actually come down, which is good. And I think that the, you know, the chemical prices have come up as well. So it's kind of about the same money now. I've always said to all everybody who knows me is that I'm, I'm not tremendously in, you know i care for the environment i've got a young daughter i even drive an electric car now so you know I, I do care but i care more about people and printers you know i come from an age where you you were using some horrible chemicals and you know i've still got i've still haven't got a very good strong sense of smell due to years and years of <laughs> spray tack and you know it's being glued together like that and and, it, and you don't know what it's doing to you and I think it's more to do with that. I, I'm sort of I, I worry more about people using the wrong chemicals. So I'd rather they used uh, you know green bean products where you look at something like Franmar, where there's a complete soybean range or water-based inks. Um, again, they are they are they are greener. They are friendlier as long as you use them in the correct manner that they're meant yeah. to. Can I can I ask about that? Because I keep asking this question and I can't even if going to Magna Keller's like the other week. I can't mm-hmm. still get a solid answer because a lot of the plus links have had a lot of the like phthalates and bad stuff yeah, taken yeah. out of them. They have to, they have to, to, you know, to yeah. certain patients. And then water-based printing with like a kind of setup like ours, which is like small manual, big buddy. We, we're using like electric and energy to cure the garments. Like 
it, surely there's like a scale where using plasto and water-based is pretty much equal in terms of sustainability and then it's just like when you get onto a larger scale and you can use like big gas dryers then you can cure the inks more effectively and then just put them through once and that type of thing i, I feel like there's there has to be a scale where it tips into water-based being more environmental or stay at plaster sole because you're only at this scale i'm not sure i don't know Suppose, I'm not phrasing that very well, sorry. Yeah, no, I know. I suppose, I suppose the thing about plasticol is it gets a bad run because it starts with the word plas. Yeah, but does now, it all basically have plastic in it? Yeah, if it's called texasol, everyone would go, what's, what's all that? Oh, it's an ink. Oh, okay, that's great. You know, and it starts with plas and it's like, Ugh. and then water-based ink, well, that must be better. But as you quite rightly point out with water-based ink, there are nasty, some nasties in water-based ink and some of them, um, and then particularly to keep it open, to keep it fluid, you know, to keep it open in the screen. Uh, the second, the big, the biggest thing is that you need to use two to three times more energy to cure it. Mm. And the other thing is also the wash up. The amount of times I go in a print shop and they've got the screens and the blast and the, all the ink, they don't even take it off and it's going straight back into the water. And you think, God, just take it off, just wash it down. You know, but they don't. It's it's easy, it's quick, it's the next job, the next job. So sometimes it's the best for the environment if it's going back into the system, whereas you can't blast a water base, you know, down the drain. You have to scrape it off and then you have to use a a, a, a solvent or, you know, a, a screen cleaner to take it off. And then the rags go in the bin and then the bin usually goes into landfill or, or it gets burned. So it generally tends to be a little bit better and there's much less energy. Plastisol has to reach 160, 65 for up to 10 seconds and it's cured. Mm. Absolutely good. But water yeah. Has to be sometimes with some inks, ours are a little bit less, but some inks are up to three minutes. Yes. Yeah, you know, know, slowing your production down. So you're printing and waiting for your dryer and then you're bringing it around and putting it down again, bringing it down. You know, we, we found recently that our cold cure catalyst that goes into the Amex inks and water based inks, very popular, literally it's gone because. A lot of people, what they're doing is they're, they're using a drying rack or they've got a big table and they're only printing 20, 30 shirts and they're using water-based ink or if they've, got a, if they've got a substrate that is sensitive to heat, so a nylon bag or something something different, yeah. sensitive to heat, and they're printing it and leaving it because as soon as you put the catalyst in it, in the ink, it will naturally cure in up to 48 hours. So you don't need any heat at all. So that's got to be a win-win situation. Exactly. I would have, I would have, oh, that would have been a lifesaver in certain circumstances where I was trying to like get the heat to cure but not like push yep. over into that like horrible melting and yeah dye migration thing I yeah, think that's my next video Dave like how it, to yeah yeah it's it, it heat creates so many problems within screen printing if you can manage the heat and that's in your dryer and on your flash cure those two points if you can manage that heat and control it well I mean, you know, if you, if you don't buy the right flash cure, you left one of those element ones that go like that. Yeah. You know you've got a hotspot one corner, hotspot on the other. That cures, that cures, and the middle doesn't. And then yeah. you end up burning the garment, but, you, you, you know, you touch dry in the middle. I know. And then you go on Facebook with a picture, and you're like, why did the L just wash off? And yeah, why did that do that? I see a lot of that, yeah. Do you know, like, when you're talking about curing and, like, it taking so much longer, mm -hmm. another tipping point, if if plasto and water-based are relatively even, is the the... The energy bills that everyone's facing now because we haven't got a cap on business energy bills like households yeah. do but businesses don't so that's yeah. going to skyrocket and then you're going to sell even more cold catalysts surely yeah well, it is for us but i don't know maybe do you think we yeah. can we'll do we'll do come, come october november when the prices shoot up people's bills are going to double and the only advice i've been giving people is look you know you could use your, your flash cure just spot dry your garments because if it's plastisol 
It dries at about 100, 110, just touch dry. Stack them up, make sure it's dry. No, you don't want it transferring. Make sure it's dry. Switch your dryer on once a day. Yes, I know your battery. Mm, yeah, mm. good just idea. Do, just run it through once a day and that's it. And just get you, get yourself through the next two or three months. Or do it, you know, if, if you're one of these printers that print throughout the night, you're okay because the energy costs are lower at night because nobody needs the energy. Really? So anytime, yeah, from 10 o'clock until 6, your energy, your energy costs are a lot lower. I did not know that. That is incredible. Seriously. Yeah, yeah seriously. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when we used to run a night shift and, uh, and uh, when we were printing, I had several or eight autos running a night shift. It, the, the electric was a lot cheaper at the night than it was in the, in the daytime because everybody has a demand in the day and they've got all this energy they need to release. So it's a, it's a lot cheaper. I think it's from midnight or 10 o'clock. We're all just going to be like up at night or just... <laughs> all the printers are going to be bashing away, printing away at two in the morning, you know, with the new music on and cans of Red Bull. Yeah. Oh my god! I didn't. I didn't know that you could. Yeah, I didn't know that was a variable. That's really interesting. But yeah, batching up is really, really interesting. And also, just it sounds a little bit counterintuitive, but like telling your customers like extended lead times means mm -hmm. that you can look at your workflow and like batch off jobs. Yeah. So then you can print all of the jobs that need white ink all together, and then you can do like the two big jobs at the same time, and then have all the kind of like pre prep all done. Whereas yeah. it's, it's a bit of a luxury, like going, oh, I'll print this job, turn the heaters off, and then, oh, and late in the afternoon, I'll do that second job. And it's all that. We have to think about that now, but it's going to force have us to, to be more efficient. All the way across, even down to, you know, um, water. Water's going to be the next thing. I mean, uh, we're in a drought. We know this now. Um, you know, those jet washers, they kick out a lot of water. So you, you, could, you could easily and quickly use five, 10 litres of water just to do one screen. So get a dip tank. Yeah. You you, yeah. you guys got one, you know, you know, you wouldn't be without it now. And the amount no. of people who haven't got dip tanks still, you just dip it in, bring it out, jet wash it off for 30 seconds, job done. Yeah, no, dip tank is probably the big, like, so, okay, apart from dip tank, because we've already just said that, but like, if you had like something like 250 quid and you had to, to spend something on it in a studio that was going to make it like much more efficient, where would you put that money? Well, you don't have to say 250, but... Where do you think people need to put invest in their in their studios the most to make them more efficient? The biggest mistake I see people doing is buying. Uh, they buy a press and they get going, and then what they do is they're trying to do everything at once. I believe that people should it, it, take your steps, conquer the little bits, and then just go, go, and go. So what I mean by that is initially don't start making your own screens and doing your own films. So people out there like yourselves who can make the screens for people, make those have those screens made by you. Learn that process later. Learn this, the craft and the skill of printing by hand because mm. it is a craft and a skill. So learn that first. Secondly, when you buy your press, I'd rather people bought a secondhand decent press than a new Chinese-style press. Yeah, These presses look very tempting. They're 12, 1,500 quid for a 4-6 colour. And then people get on there and they've, they, they've got it and they bought it off. I think even Amazon sells them. You know, they've got off Amazon or eBay or wherever they bought this press from. Um, they paid the money and it comes and they spend three days putting it together, trying to get all the bits and then they put it together. And the first time they use it, it doesn't register. And that creates a massive problem for the people who are learning a new industry. They think it's them and it's mm. not. It's cheap equipment. So, but, you know, spend, spend, a bit, spend a bit more money and buy something that, you know, we do use we used equipment. for. I can get you a decent press for, I don't know, 1,500 quid, two grand. And, and that, okay, it might be 10 years old, but I tell you what, it will hold register. Yeah. 
because um, you know that the person the person who had it is upgrading because they did well on that press it's not because the press fell apart yeah they made mm. them yeah and that's and that's that happens a lot i see that a lot and i i get because i buy used equipment as well i see a lot of people offering the chinese stuff and i just won't buy it because yeah. it doesn't work it really doesn't if, it, if you buy a one color one yet yeah, they're fine because there's no registration problems but as soon as you go anything more than one you start going up to four or six it, it, it's it's a problem they're made for a price this thing's got to be made in china shoved in a container and shipped over here and it's got to the only way it could compete with existing machinery that's out there machinery manufacturers is on price hmm. that's it on price yeah i won't sell it i don't sell multicolored chinese equipment for that reason because it creates more problems but it anything it creates doubt and that doubt can eat at you because you, you you've done a print and people are honestly you, you, I, I get calls from people are in tears can't print, I can't do this. And well, what press are you using? Oh, I bought one off eBay. It was only 1200 quid. You were, you know, you were two grand. I'm like, oh, yeah. Which one is it? Send me a picture. And I just, yeah. I just, I'll help you as much as I can, but you've got to realize at some point it's the press. It's not you. And that yeah. generally. No, I, I found that as well. And also people getting those eBay lots off other printers who might have failed. Is okay. like, I get that but then they use all of the inherited inks and emulsions and chemicals. And then they're, they're calling me and you probably and saying like, oh, this emulsion is not working. And then they spend weeks trying yeah. to figure out this problem. It's like, stop using other people's shitty chemicals. You need to, you I know it's a job lot and it does feel yeah. bad, but just leave those behind and yeah. get, get your screens remeshed. Don't try and use someone else's old screens. Yeah, we, um, we have because we do all we do all our own screen stretching there. We bought all that in house. I think last time you were here, that wasn't here, but we do all no. our own screen stretching there because uh, we, we want to respond quicker to people as well. And having a having a, I mean, I do see a lot of people using really old screens or really battered screens, and they're still charging the customer a ten or a fifteen quid for a screen, and that screen's probably making them more than the print. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I know, but you don't realize the the degradate the degradation. Yeah. The degrading of like press uh, screens and squeegees, you don't notice it until you get a new squeegee and you're like, oh, that's, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh, that you need to go. Yeah. That like, squeaky we just... noise over fresh mesh. There's no better, there's no better noises. Yeah. But you need the fresh one to show you that yeah. all your shit ones are that shit. And you're like, oh God, that one is a bit old, but I'm like sentimentally keeping that one. I need to, need to do the purge and get them redone. Do you do new squeegee blades as well? Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah. Yeah. Two different types of new squeegee blades. We do, and we do, we do three or four different types of squeegee now as well. Where do people on wooden, or they have aluminium, or they want the specialist ones? Because a lot of specialist ones as well. Yeah, I've got, I've got one that weighs like eight kilograms. What <laughs> the freaking? Get the badass. guns out! Get oh the guns out! God, I, I don't know <laughs> who can use that as a day to day. I understand like a few applications, like white ink on a big hoodie yeah. or something, but. Then, yeah, if anyone's using that day to day, they they, uh, they must be struggling a bit. But I mean, you, you're touching on that there. That's one of the most common questions I get asked is how to print a decent white. Mm. And, it, you know, there, there are three or four steps, but it, it comes down to, first of all, obviously, decent artwork without a doubt that goes out saying, because you can only print as good as your artwork. Next thing is a decent screen. Have tension. You need tension. So when you're printing, it should peel off. It should snap off. Mm. And when you set it up, about a pound coin against the palette. Make sure it's nice and even. And you'll see people trying to print on old wooden pallets that have curved with the heat, 
because and, and they can't get the pressure in the middle. I see people trying to print with no snap, and then it's get that orange, massive orange peel effect when they pull it off. And then get yourself a decent white. Just get yourself a decent white, and don't be frightened to play with the inks. And what I mean by that, there's curable reducers out there, there's thinners, there's thickeners. Don't be frightened. Just follow the guidelines, thin it down to your viscosity that works for you. Mm. Because as yet, I haven't come across in my 38 years of printing a one-stroke white. It, you know, it, it really doesn't exist that, that, that's commercially acceptable to every printer. There isn't one. Everybody I know will print, flash, print. Yeah. Now, sometimes they double print, flash, double print. That's their preference. But generally speaking, that's what people do. So you play around with an ink, make it work for you. It should be a little bit thinner maybe on the manual press, a little bit thicker on the, on the auto press. Flash cure, nice low temperature, and then pop it, and then literally pop it on top. And that's where a lot of people have problems. They'll they'll over shrink the garment so it doesn't fit the second time. Or if they've got one of the cheap, nasty Chinese presses we talked about, it doesn't rich. <laughs> yeah. Just end up, it just ends up blurred. Um, can I ask you another huge topic? It's like trying to be covered on YouTube, but no one's ever successfully done it. What is the what is this like sign or signal? from going from a manual screen printing studio to an automatic and what kind of advice would you give getting your first automatic? Um, first of all, there's a big learning curve. There's a massive learning curve with getting an automatic and we have calls every week about it. And as you know, we supply many automatics. Um, so there has to be a very frank conversation with somebody. First of all, do you have the space? You need in my opinion, 1,500, 2,000 square feet minimum. You need to be able to get around the press. I mean, I've put presses in places that you wouldn't <laughs> believe. I even put one in an old bowling alley once. <laughs> that was amazing. There was an old bowling alley which he rented and it was no longer used and we put a press in there. So I put them in all places. I yeah. put one in a place once where the guy used a, a cart to get underneath. Like, you know, you go underneath an engine, one of these things you sit on, and he went underneath it to get to the other side to, to, to fill up with ink. So oh, you have to have space around it. The second thing you need is three-phase electricity because you need a compressor, you're going to need a dryer that's quicker, and then you're going to need a flash cure. Okay, so these are just your basic needs. You generally want it on the ground floor, although they will. You, you generally need to go through a double door, yeah, because a lot of people, oh, can't we put it through single? I mean, I put stuff through roofs, I put stuff through windows, and again, it's that. But there isn't a time, the time is you'll know when it's right, because typically if you're looking at a one-color print, between two people on an automatic, comfortably three to 500 pieces an hour. Mm. How many do you think you can do two of you on a manual? Probably that in a day. <laughs> I think I can do, I think nah. I can do a few more, but. Yeah, you um, do a hundred, you do a hundred an hour. Yeah. hundred an hour, okay. I'm gonna throw in another color. How many an hour can you do now? Depends so what ink I'm using, but if I'm doing wet on wet, I don't know. Well, it's not half the time, but it's almost half the time. So you I mean, probably, double the time. You probably do. You, you could probably suddenly you've gone from 100 to 60. Yeah. Matic, they're still running at three to 500. They yeah, can, go up to 10, can go up to 10 colours. You have to, you know, you have sometimes have to um, leave cooling stations and there's other bits and pieces, but there's a massive learning curve to be done. And, you know, we, myself and Nick have been putting machines in for many years and Nick had his own print shop over in South Africa. So he certainly knows how to run. I've run many print shops and it's about that edge. It's, it's managing the customer's expectations, saying to them, look, guys, I understand you want an automatic and guess I've got one here for you. But you've got to do certain steps in order to get there because otherwise it will fail. Mm. 
95% of the people we see generally do okay with, with an automatic when they go. And, they, and then their comment is usually we go back, we train them initially, and then we go back and train them in three or four weeks' time, and then train them in three or four weeks' time again. Oh, really? They'll have questions. There's questions to be asked. So if they're having a new machine, they generally get, we, 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 ch- we do it in chunks like that because otherwise it's all at once. And the question changes, it always changes. And, the, and thankfully, the last bit, they'll actually say to them, how do we manage without it? Because all you do is putting on, you're taking off. More important than anything, you've got consistency. That first mm-hmm. print, the same as the last print. So you've got that consistency on that big print that you're doing, that big chest print that's, you know, 50 centimetres. You, you're going to struggle by having to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It gives you. And then the second thing is it gives you time back in the print shop. It's suddenly taking you a quarter of the time, you know, that it took you before. So what are you going to do in your new time? Talk to your customers. Get more. Um, can I ask about, like, how, where are the failures and, like, what are the, what are the points that people aren't succeeding with an automatic? Like, do people... Just they can't get, I don't know, like what kind of stumbling blocks have you seen when people do um, jump? The, wor- the worst thing is when I when, when a customer buys a machine and they say, and I say, oh, great, why have you bought the machine? I've got 10,000 to print here. And you're like, oh, no. Yeah. And you, I'm, I've stood there with customers and printed garments for them to get an order out because they bought the machine because of an order which is helped by the machine. And I understand oh. that. But that's the worst way to learn because we can't train them. Okay, set it up, off we go, and you just bash them out at 500 an hour and off you go, and you've done, you know, your day's production, two and a half, 3,000 garments. You're like, oh, that was brilliant. And then you've got to go back and train them. <laughs> so that, that's, that's a failure where people do that. The second thing is, is managing people's expectations and the way it prints, because you've got, to, you've got to remember that when you're printing like a, a white down, and if they overflash, it becomes tacky. So generally, you leave a cooling station on head number three. So they'll get a 10-color press and realize that you can probably only print eight, seven, eight colors. So it, it's uh, getting their expectations. The great thing about the MR machine is they've got that revolver program on it, which will send it round two or three times, mm. which is great because you can do that and it gives it time to cool down and it gives you a chance to go and top up the inks and do other things. So there's a couple of ways of running a press. You can either run it um, with one person, just you load, you take off, or you can run it with two people, or you can run it with multiple cycles. So it really depends on, on your shop how big it is. You know, you know, I've worked for some of the biggest print shops in Europe and, you know, places where they demand 3,000 garments, 4,000 garments a day, and there's mm. seven or eight going. You know, and these things just, just, just literally bump, 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 bump all the time. Yeah. I thought a second ago you were going to say um, they've got 10,000 shirts, but then I was thinking, okay, but then what's the next order? Mm. So, like, are they being able to sustain feeding it? Because then it becomes like a massive monthly expense, doesn't it? And then it's you've not got to feed the machine. It's not that big. I mean, you, you, you're looking at a, you know, a six-color machine and a dryer and a compressor and a, and a flash cure at £50,000. Now, most people, that's, I've got 50 grand in my pocket. I certainly haven't got any bank account. But £50,000 to a business that's got to that point, they've usually got the deposit, which is usually £10,000. And there's 40,000, so they're financing it. And then you've mm. got to look financing that over a five-year period. Now, screen print equipment after five years still has a value. Yeah, it's I know. Still- it does hold its value. It's crazy. Digital equipment after five years has no value. Yeah. So it still has that value because it's, it can still do a job. So, so you're looking at £40,000 over five years. You know, it's, it's not, it, you know, it's £10,000 a year, which is, you know, it's not a lot of money really in the mm. big scheme. I think sometimes people look at the figure, oh, but the other thing also is that people don't realise that they've got to get a compressor. They don't realise they need three-phase electricity. They don't need the space they need. 
and they don't realize sometimes that the dryer's got to get a bit bigger and the screen room's got to get a bit bigger as well you've got to be able to put you know they can no, you no longer use the homemade unit that they've used for years and years they've actually got to invest into a decent exposure unit so everything gets an upgrade in order to push the job through quicker yeah. i don't know many people who sort of bought them and they they they've regretted it i haven't bought many back they generally go in and stay there and then I buy them back in usually between three and six years time when they say, OK, we had the six colour. I want the 10. I want the 12. Yeah. Um, sorry, can you finance secondhand machines as easily as new machines? Yes. You yeah. Can. As long as they're as long as they're with, you know, as long as they're with an authorised dealer like ourselves, uh, with somebody who actually maintains it, looks after it. then yes, you can. Mm. Yeah, that might be like a good thing for people to know because they can't quite afford the new one. But I've, yeah. had, I've honestly, Chessie, I've had people buy machines on credit cards. <laughs> yeah, zero zero percent for two years, zero percent for eighteen months back in the day, and then they buy them. They said, "Don't worry, that'll pay for that," and they pay for it within four or five months. They paid yeah. it off. So there's various. I mean, I wouldn't recommend that, but there's various ways of doing it. And generally, finance. Bad debt is bad. You know, not all debt is bad, but, you know, what I'm getting at here is that, you know, it's like mortgages, you know, we all need one. We all need to buy the house. And it's the same with your business. There is a certain amount of money that you've got to invest into things to get money back, but also to buy time back as well. Yeah. That's important. And to give you that, what you're doing is the skill as a printer, your skill as a printer is with you. Now, when you start getting really, really busy, like your print shop, you start to get busy and you start to get really good at what you're doing and whatever. You haven't got time then to sort of talk to the customers. So you go off and talk to the customers and then you try and train somebody. How can they train what you've just learned in years, five years? How are they going to do that? It doesn't mm. happen. So what you generally do to do, an automatic will de-skill the job because you're pressing buttons. Yeah. Because the angle is going to be the same. The speed's going to be the same. The consistency, all the prints going to be the same. You just got to get somebody to, somebody to set it up, which could be you. Don't run those 200 garments. I've just got to make a couple of calls. I'll be back. And that's where I see it happening very successfully with people as well. Mm. Yeah, that's a good insight, that. Yeah, that's clever. Because, yeah, it's very difficult to ever give your squeegee up to somebody else. I haven't actually seen many manual print shops actually come off the press and be able to train someone else equally on that press and get their hands it just, off it completely. It generally doesn't happen. Like I said, you you know, it, it's, it's you know, the, the small one-man print shops, two, three, one-girl print shops, two, three-girl print shops. Generally <laughs> speaking, what, what they what they tend to do, as I said, they get to a point where they get busy, 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 and then somebody tends to do the sales, and then you bring it, you'll bring another person in, and you've got to train that person. And you know how difficult that can be, because you can put all your time and effort into this person, and off they go, flipping burgers for an extra pound. Yeah. So it, it, uh, you've got to de-skill the job somewhere. Um, just one more question because I could go on all night though, but like how important is it and how do you manage to communicate to people who are new printers coming into the industry? It's, it's not all about the kit. You have to learn how to use the kit. So like, do you find that a lot of people just want to buy their way out of all the problems, but they don't want to like come on for a training course Absolutely. and you're like, I could teach you this and I could teach you how to like actually be efficient and make this work, but they, they're just yeah. not. How do yeah. you sell that to them? Like, well, you idea. don't. You can't, you can't sell that to somebody because a lot of people are watching YouTube videos now. It's their first port of call, and they see these fantastically squeaky Americans selling lovely machines. And before you know it, that's what they want or that's what they need. And they go, "Oh, I've got to have one of those." Look at this guy; he's doing well. And look at this guy; he's doing well. And it's just, I, it goes back to talk to the people who've run print shops before. Like I said, Nick Walker, who walks through, uh, walk, Nick Walker, who works for us. Yeah, you know, he's run you know print shops over in South Africa for years. 
And what he knows, it will just walk into a print shop and go, Look, let's get the flow working right, let's get this working right, let's get that working right, then we can deal with that. And sometimes he can, he can get more out of a press. I mean, I've walked into print shops and got the press to run another 100 garments an hour quicker just by tweaking it, just standing there and just listening to how the press is running, how the squeegees are, how you can print a little bit quicker, turning the flash down. Usually I turn everything down. Mm. So then you haven't got any reason to stop because when these machines, some of them go up to a thousand more pieces an hour and people try and run them too quick. So just keep that steady pace. And don't, don't, get, don't get wowed by all the knobs and whistles. Do you need them? Really, do you need them? I've seen some of the best prints done on print machines that are 20 years old. As long as it turns and registers, that's all you want. Okay, yeah, yeah. That is interesting, that. That's really mm. good. Yeah, awesome. Um, have you got, like, one shop hack that you want to end on and tell us about? Oh. Favorite, yeah. One of my favorites is when people start out. They look at it. They look at our ink store and they say, "Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. See this? Yeah. This is evil. Right. The pantone oh, evil. You you show a customer one of these, and not only will he take half an hour to decide what color he wants, you'll end up with thousand half liter pots before you know it on the shelf, which you'll keep because we all yeah. do. Yeah. And you'll have thousands of pounds worth of ink up there because of this don't give them this give them that yeah that's kind of none of those inks look there's choices somebody says i want a yellow they got a choice of three somebody <laughs> says i want a red they got a choice of three don't so <laughs> when the customer comes in show them this and then say oh no i've got pantone colors evil you can have pantone colors but it's going to cost you an extra xyz yeah so this this is a great way and we, we've got some great pantone mixing systems out there now we can get any pantone but it takes time. So, evil. Good. Okay, that's <laughs> going to be a clip, Dave. That's gonna... <laughs> I'm going to clip that up and uh, try and explain it further to people why. But it, it is, it why is it true. Is evil. It's it very... is true. Yeah, we've got like, um, as you say, like an absolute ton of customer Pantone inks there. And then we're going to go and consolidate more. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to just, because we can, design our own stuff we can just pick off the shelf because yeah. there's no one saying oh, that's that, that pick, like you'll use one that oh, i mix a liter too much so i use that yeah exactly no perfect i really appreciate your time today no, so, problem. Really no, problem. Cool. no problem yeah. at all it was good fun yeah thank you very much